Welcome to The Bridge, fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Welcome to The Bridge. We are a show that connects East and West. My name is Jason. I'm originally from sunny California, now living in beautiful Beijing. Today with me is Bebe. Hi. Hi, Jason. Hello, everybody. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Today we have a special guest, Josh Lapidus. Am I saying that right? No, but it's okay. <laughs> how do you say your name? How do you say it? How do you say it? Lapidus. And that's actually part of Lepidus. where my pseudonym came from. Ah. Oh, what, can I ask, what's the origin of your name? Like what country? Yeah. So the family's Russian, kind of like Ukraine, Poland, like that kind of area. Oh. But the origin of the name is probably Greek, oh, we think. Interesting. Welcome to the show, Josh Lapidus, who is the founding steward of Opolis, a payroll and benefits company. Uh, Opolis was birthed by the vision of a more egalitarian global em- employment framework, a system that brings powerful tools and infrastructure to independent workers so they can design their work life in a way that suits their profession lifestyle preferences. Josh also lived and worked in China doing travel promotion for the Suzhou Daily under a pen name. Welcome to the show Yay. again, Josh. Thank you. I could not have described that better myself. Half of that is stolen from your company's website. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah I, can, I can tell. <laughs> so uh, where are you originally from in the U.S.? Chicago. Chicago is oh big city. Mm-hmm. So Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's your, that's your hometown. Yeah, that's my jam. <laughs> you know, the only thing I know about Chicago is that Ferris Bueller's Day Off is filmed about about that city and that it is apparently really big in history for pork and pork exports. Interesting. I did not know the thing about pork. <laughs> I, I've never been to Chicago, but I remember like there's this place with this huge metal bean structure. The like, Cloud Gate. Yeah. Oh, it's called Cloud Gate. It looks like a shiny yeah, it's, silver it's, bean. <laughs> it's an art installation that looks like a bean, but it's called the Cloud Gate because when you when you stand under it and next to it near it, mm. you can see the clouds and the reflection. It's really Ooh, it's really beautiful. Nice. Uh, when were you in China? I'm just curious. 2013 to 15. So this is like mm. before WeChat had like video uh. <laughs> or money. Really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Didn't even know there was a thing practically. So you were living in Suzhou. Yes, is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yep, that is correct. We were introduced by a friend, Pat Yu, who's also been on the show. Did he meet you in Suzhou? No, we met later via um, another friend, Justin, working on Ethereum Mm. Denver. So could you tell us about Ethereum Denver? Sure. Yeah, uh, ETH Denver is the largest and longest running Ethereum conference in the world. Ethereum being the second largest cryptocurrency by Mm -hmm. market cap and utilization. (laughs) What what brought you to China in 2013? That's a good question. So I was working full-time in democratic politics and I burned out and decided to go back to school, finish my degree because I was was part-time at school. And then I went home after resigning and got a Facebook ad to come teach in China. And I was like, all right, this is just fate. I'm going to do it. So I, I finished my degree. I interviewed. I got the job and... Um, there's some other stuff in there, but I ended up moving right after graduating to, uh, to Sujo. Wow. So those links, those links actually work. <laughs> They're actually who people who click on them. Yes. And, uh, yeah, it was Amazon, Amazon, AYC, Amazon, you're in China, oh. which, um, I did not go with that platform because they, there were mm. some other problems. We don't need to get into it. <laughs> um, but the reason I chose mm-hmm. Sujo actually was because while I was working in politics, mm-hmm. I was staying in a, 
uh, basically an Airbnb, a rental uh, in Bethesda. Mm. This is like suburban DC. Mm. And they had a mm. foreign exchange student from mm. a town just south of Suzhou. And we became friends. Mm-hmm. And so when the time came for me to choose a city in, in China, he was like, oh, come to my city. You got to come to my city. He sent me like mm. 30 pictures of Suzhou and I was sold. <laughs> <laughs> it is very beautiful. Well, the pictures uh, I see are always canals, but I've always wondered, yeah. based on personal you know, experience, Josh, like, is it really a city of canals or is that just some parts? I did not spend any time in the canals. Um, <laughs> so they, they call Suzhou the Venice of the East because mm. they have all the canals. But the thing that makes Venice Venice is that there are more like boats than cars. Like you, you traverse the city mm. by taking basically a boat, like a little ferry. Mm. Um, mm. That is not common at all in Suzhou. Uh, I would mm-hmm. uh, the canals are nice. It's just nobody uses them for public transportation. It's mostly for selfies mm. for IG and things like that. Absolutely. I think in China, we probably think Suzhou more as a garden, like city of gardens. Oh, yeah. You know, because it's mm-hmm. like naturally connected to Suzhou Garden. And I visited it once. Mm-hmm. Um, it, w- it was like... Uh, Which garden did you go to? Those, like, I don't remember the name, but it was uh, a really famous one. The Humble Administrator's Garden? Maybe. But it's, I don't remember the Chinese name. But why? what I do remember was it was so crowded. <laughs> like, one of the... Yeah, probably the Humble Administrator's Garden. Yeah, everybody ex- who went there would go visit. And I remember remember when we were vis- visiting one of the courtyards it w- like it was literally packed i did not have to walk like I was pushed forward by the people behind me and I was <laughs> literally and, and there were like those like rock mountains right and I was like pushed onto it yeah. <laughs> visited it mm, you know without wow. me walking almost um yeah it, one, it was beautiful one of the things i think people don't realize about the gardens in Suzhou is that the, the the vast majority of the tourists, the the ticket sales mm. that go through there, are Chinese tourists mm. from like other parts of Jiangsu and other parts of China, mm. and Mm-mm-mm. like you don't see a lot of foreigners, you don't see a lot of Suzhou locals there. It's 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 mostly tourists. You will probably be scared away by the crowds, mm. would you? You know, if you go to those uh, touristy sites, <laughs> I think if, if it's like your first time in China, yeah, you probably would get a little bit scared by it's it. It's like no but personal space. Yeah. You go through the Shanghai subway once and you're like, all right, I can do this. <laughs> I'm cured. <laughs> yeah. You know, we have the same experience in Beijing. If you go to like the Forbidden City, all like Chinese from other provinces who have come to see the Forbidden City, you hardly see mm. like foreigners yeah. at all. Especially on holidays and all that. But, you know, I'm really interested in both uh, for Josh and uh, Jason, actually. Um, so for for you, Josh, it was a link on a website that brought you to China, like the first step. An advertisement, yeah. <laughs> An advertisement. <laughs> they actually work. And but, but like, what were what was your impression of the country before that? Like, I lived in the States mm-hmm. for, um, you know, quite many years. You don't actually, there there isn't that much information about China yeah. unless you go look for them on the internet. But like on mainstream media, the little bit that they have is so distorted. (laughs) It's just it's not the real China at all. Mm. So did you like you and Jason before you came to China? What was your impression of 
the country. You know, I just read articles on Forbes. I was mostly interested in the fact that China was like this mm. growing economy. And I was really, I was like, oh, this is clearly going to be one of the next most relevant places in the world. For me, it wasn't about like uh, Chinese culture as mm. much as like, I was like, I think this could be really good for me personally mm -hmm. to go somewhere that's going to be extremely relevant. Mm -hmm. What about you, Josh? Yeah. So I actually studied international relations at American University, which is a school mm -hmm. that's known for its international relations program. Mm -hmm. And I thought I knew a lot. <laughs> Uh, I had actually taken a class on China ah. and then it was not at all. It was similar. There were a lot of things that were spot on, mm. but like you, there, the cultural nuances you really can't learn unless you're there and you're <laughs> living and you're like with people. Mm. One of the funniest stories, probably one of the most embarrassing for me is, um, I didn't know what to bring. Mm. And like, I studied a lot about like rural China. And so like, I brought, I literally brought like a pack of toilet paper. With me. <laughs> like, I didn't, I didn't know that was a thing that like you could buy. Um, oh, I'm like, I'm in a tier two city. It's, it's probably pretty rural. And it's like, no, there's plenty of toilet paper. Oh, wow. my God. <laughs> so if you're listening to this, like you don't have to bring your own toilet paper. They have some. <laughs> Wait, but where, where where did you get that tip, though? Bringing toilet paper. I don't I don't even remember. <laughs> I don't remember. It was so long ago. I had a similar really? experience. I was like, not sure what to expect. So I brought like the travel shampoo and the travel soap and all of that kind of stuff with me mm -hmm. in case I needed it. And then I got here and I was like, oh, they literally have everything that I need. Like, No, you guys sound so brave. You know, <laughs> if, if you're going somewhere that you need to, you know, bring toilet paper, you know, you are like mentally prepared to go through something, you know, a bit rough there. Mm. But I'm happy you guys made it. <laughs> so your pen name is Sam. When I was first introduced to you online, I was like confused why some sometimes you're being called Josh and sometimes you're being called Sam. Could you yeah. tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. And this actually ended up being a problem on like what the State Department because there's like, do you have another name? I'm like, oh. well, kind of, but like not really. I got grilled on it. So mm. Sam is my middle name. My Chinese name is Shu Mingda. So the Shu is stone and stone is the English translation mm. for the Latin that is Lapidus. Mm. And so oh. Sam Stone was born. Mm. Um, and the reason I had to go by Sam was because there was another Josh who was at my school. <laughs> and so the person who's my hiring manager, who's now my friend, uh, Sammy, she goes, so you have the job, uh, but there's one condition. We can't call you Josh. There's another Josh at the school. We have to call you Sam. I'm like, well, my name is, my name is Josh. And they're like, do you want the job? I was like, okay, I'm Sam. And so, wow. uh, it's actually, it's a family name and, uh, you know, well-regarded in my family. So I don't mind being called Sam. It was kind of an honor. Um, so yeah, I went by Samwise because mm. you know, I'm a Lord of the Rings fan. Um, yeah, I can, Samwise, I can Samwise for, yeah. for a few years. But that was a bit of, you know, that was a bit inflexible on their part. Very strange. It could be like Josh 1, Josh 2. <laughs> that is, uh, yeah, that is one of the cultural things that I mm. struggled to get used to. Uh, there are certain inflexibilities, but... Um, Big Josh, little Josh. I, I was but fine. That's not, I don't think that's common, though, because, you know, I'm pretty shocked um, hearing that. I've never heard of anyone demanding you must anything be like Sam. that. Maybe it's a little bit personal. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't mind. Um, and it stuck, mm. obviously. And I got to write into the name Sam Stone, which was fun. 
So, you know, you mentioned things in China were different than you expected them to be. Could you tell us a little bit about your first couple of weeks versus your last year? How, what did you learn? What was like as you adapted to China? What were your like, what shocked you at first that didn't shock mm. you later? So I think that my culture shock was a little bit different or curved, or maybe everyone has this experience. Mm. But I was told uh, the first thing you need to do, because my goal was to learn Chinese, First thing you need to do, find a Chinese girlfriend. And <laughs> was that on the website? I'm sure this is very common advice. <laughs> or is was it like a Yeah, everyone says this. Oh. All the law I say this. You just find a Chinese girlfriend. This is you need to do this. Oh, first thing. Dear. And what they don't tell you is to find a Chinese girlfriend who does not speak English. Uh-huh. And so I did not get that part of the memo. And so mm. um, I met my now wife, uh, Lizzie, mm. um, and she got much better at English. And my Chinese <laughs> is still like, you know, mama who. And uh. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, so I would say that like having her was helpful in a, lo- a lot of things that I would get really frustrated by. Mm. She would like step in and kind of just resolve it for me so like Mm. i never understood why like for utilities like i couldn't just Mm -hmm. log in online and just top up and give them rmb you had to like during business hours go to a busy location (laughs) under the subway station to like put money on a card at a guy sitting at a desk Mm. and then you have to take that card walk back to your apartment and then literally put it into the the thing under the uh the electric thing under the under the disposal under the sink, mm. mm-hmm. and it was like that's how you topped up your electricity. But if it, if you didn't time it right with the weekend or with a holiday, mm. you just like were stuck without power for three days. Right, <laughs> and it's like what? This doesn't make but any sense. This, it doesn't make sense to me either. Like, still, I don't know why um, it's like this. Like for me, I don't have to go outside my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I can buy it in my neighborhood, but I still have to take the card out of that box and um, yeah and go Go to the office and they charge it for me. And if it's like, you know, five in the morning, then you have to wait until they're back at they start work at eight. Yeah, I don't understand this. I was like, why can't they just like give me a bill? Right. You know, once a month or something. And I just kept, I pay it and you keep feeding me electricity. I, yeah, <laughs> why does I think it have to be this way? Because sometimes. Once- so I think it reverses the, the mm-hmm. amount of man hours that it would take mm-hmm. to read the meters on that many people. Oh. And so having people come to a centralized location, I think it lowers the staff requirements. So you guys do the job. <laughs> yeah, it, de- it decentralizes the work. Yeah. Bebe lives a little far out from the city, but in, in the city now, things are online. So oh, that's nice. Uh, my wife, I have the same experience as you, my Chinese uh, partner. Oh. My wife, she goes online and she sets it so that even when it gets down to a certain amount, it automatically tops up huh. on her phone. So she uses an app. So in the like most developed... Really? Yeah. I need to ask you about this. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. We can we can move back now. That's the thing that made me move away. <laughs> and also for water sometimes. Yeah, all of that is actually oh, taken care funny. of now. You can do it all online, at least in inside the most developed parts of the city. Baby lives out at like what? Between fifth and sixth ring north. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. yeah. So. But we do have electricity and toilet vapor. <laughs> My next question, Josh, is you were living in um, Suzhou, but wherever else have you traveled inside China? So I had to do the typical visa thing. So I spent some time going back and forth to Hong Kong, uh, sometimes via Shenzhen. Hmm. We did the train up to like like uh, Changzhou and, and then Wuhan and Nanjing. Hmm. Uh, I've done Shanghai a bunch of times. 
then we did an overnight train to Xi'an and then an overnight train to Beijing and then the high speed back to Suzhou. Um, and then I did this really cool trip out to Zhangye uh, to see the uh-huh. Dansha. Uh, with a friend, um, that was that was pretty. What is Dunshaw? Actually, I don't know. It's like the rock formations where there's like different colors on the rocks based off of the years of sediment. Oh yeah, hmm. I've seen the pics. Yeah. yeah, and so we had to fly to. Here's a here. Okay, I come from tourism writing, so I have to leave this tourism note. <laughs> like the only way to do it, you fly into Longzhou, then to get on the train that takes you into Gansu, like further into Gansu, hmm. the train station is on the opposite side of the city than the airport so do not book a train uh, and a flight that are close together because you will miss your train <laughs> and then you're stuck in lonjo for like the whole weekend this is the details mm. that you get from a professional <laughs> a professional tourism author yes yeah you bring that up that you were doing tourism writing could you tell us a little bit about your role and what you did yeah it was um so they had the idea to do these books and i don't particularly understand the purpose of them because they weren't syndicated outside of China or Suzhou, mm. but they had these, the Suzhou, Suzhou daily had these books, the Su- allure of Suzhou and then uh, allure of Kunshan. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea was to write tourism articles that reflected really well upon um, the different tourism offerings that Suzhou has. Great concept. Mm. They did translate our articles into Chinese, mm. um, but the books were never sold. And so I never really understood, like, why am I writing for mm. people who are already in Suzhou? <laughs> They're already here. Like, we need to send this book far and wide and draw people to the city. Mm. Are the articles, maybe they're online? I couldn't find them. If you can, I would love them because uh, I'd love to like, you know, show my friends, be like, hey, look, I actually do. <laughs> yeah, I looked for them a lot. I was like, uh, I don't know where this is. Maybe. So I have a, I have a couple of physical copies of the mm-hmm. book. And if you call mm-hmm. the, um, you know who has them? There's the, uh, there's the History of Sujo Museum that is at the end of um, one of the gardens. Mm. Hmm. And they actually sell them. They still sell them in the uh, in the in the gift shop of the museum. Mm-hmm. And the reason I know this is because when we came back to uh, my wife's from Jiangyin, mm-hmm. which is a suburb of Wuxi. Mm-hmm. So again, we spent a lot of time in Wuxi. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we brought my whole family. Yeah. I brought 30 people, my friends and family oh, wow. to, for a big mm-hmm. Chinese wedding because we didn't have a big wedding here. Uh, and I wanted to take people to where I lived. And so we we did some nights in Suzhou, Shanghai, and then in Jiangyin. Mm. And when we were at Suzhou, we walked through this garden. And then, like, I get to the gift shop at the end. I'm like, oh, my God, there's my book. You guys never believed me. I was like, you need to buy some copies of this. I wish we got – we didn't get royalties, but we did get very well paid for the articles. Um, um. Yeah, I think it was like seven or 800 RMB per article. It's really good. Nice. You know, this is something that comes from my producer, but also, you know, as a travel writer writing about Suzhou in a city of gardens, mm-hmm. what are the top one or two places to go? And so oh, you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> um, okay. So the, the two for Suzhou, like I'm, I'm just going to go with the hits like Tiger Hill. Uh, it's a little bit outside of the city center, but like mm. you gotta go. Uh, and then the humble administrator's garden, which we've talked about a few times. Well, what's that tiger, mm. tiger hill that we have to see? Uh, it's like a really tall, I don't know if the word is pagoda. Mm, mm, it's a tower, mm. uh, but there's like a massive garden. Mm, um, mm. they, they've got a lot of real estate cause mm. they're a little bit outside the city. What else is there? <laughs> uh, the downtown area has a lot of. I haven't thought about these things in a minute. The So as, there's three parts. Well, there's five parts of the city, but the three like main parts, there's a pseudo new district. Suzhou New District on the west side doesn't really have a lot of tourism. Mm. The downtown area has a lot. And then 
East SIP, the Suzhou Industrial Park, which mm. used to be the Singapore Industrial Park. Mm. That, there's like a lot of new construction and a lot of, um, well, industry, but they, it's a lot of, uh, like Times Square mm. is really pretty, but it's not like a tourism thing. Mm. It's more like mm. tourism shopping, which that is the thing that people are interested in. Mm. Mm. Like silk and all that stuff. Qipao silk. Probably. No, no, the silk no. stuff. That's, um, that's downtown. Okay. Mm. Uh, on Ganjiang. Kanjangjie. Mm-hmm. Did you get to Hangzhou, which is pretty close? Once or twice. Not as much as I would have liked. Because mm-hmm. people say Suzhou, Hangzhou, paradise on earth. And I spent most of the time in Suzhou. Mm-hmm. Half a paradise is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> what drew you back to the States after mm-hmm. two years? Why did you return home? So my my second year contract was ending mm-hmm. at uh, Suzhou Waigoyu. And I got an advertisement. Uh, again? <laughs> Yes. So I actually, I fell in with a really great group of uh, German engineers who were like running like the V-Dub and the like BMW Mm. plants and like Bosch. And, Mm. and we, we used to get drinks every, like, I think it was Tuesday night. And they were like, you shouldn't be a teacher for the rest of your life. You should do something technical. Mm. And, And that night I went home and I got this advertisement essentially from <laughs> a massage program if you want josh to do something just send him yeah, an ad. i mean you're not you're not wrong like it's just like yes i i say yes to opportunities so mm-hmm. um i got this thing from a massage program um i'm i'm jewish and mm-hmm. they was like you can come study at this coding boot camp mm-hmm. in tel aviv mm-hmm. and i was like i kind of want to live in tel aviv that'd be fun mm-hmm. i told my girlfriend like i don't know if she was she wasn't my fiance yet mm. my girlfriend um what do you think about going to live in tel aviv and we spent six months there and then decided not to stay in tel aviv we went back to the u.s mm. so you finished your education there for programming and then returned to the US. i did yeah to be a mm. software developer did you already have some programming skills before you went into that program none wow so what was your major in? were you like math major or logic or something no i had a dual degree in international relations and uh cleg cleg which stands for communications legal institutions economics and government which i make the joke is a masters in never pronouncing anyone's name wrong <laughs> which has been a long time since i've pronounced someone's name wrong wow. so i've already done it at the beginning of this program <laughs> okay. so i guess that may- well you don't have a masters in not pronouncing anyone's <laughs> name wrong so maybe you should get one do you have an av- uh, advertisement for jason i i don't recommend it. <laughs> send him a link i'm the opposite of with that with links links come to me i'm like okay whatever that is i'm doing the opposite right now <laughs> it's not particularly useful and and also like it's there's so many different names and so many, like, there's so many things that you can get offended by that, like, mm. someone mispronouncing your name is, like, just whatever. Like, you correct mm. them, move on. It's right. no big deal. Exactly. I, I'm really interested in, you were talking about how you brought 30 of your family members from the U.S. to China for your wedding. Mm-hmm. Like, can we take a few minutes just to talk yeah. about that? Because this sounds so interesting. I, I've never seen, like, 30 yeah, absolutely. foreigners together so, <laughs> in one group in China. A, ga- a gaggle. Yeah, I can try. <laughs> <laughs> find some i can try to find some pictures to send you for the for the art yeah, for this episode absolutely. if you'd like um the um so the the first part is like there's a few types of americans who leave expat and become mm. like just live in china um you've probably had a few of them on your show there's like the burnout there's like the veteran <laughs> there's like means. the student you know what i mean there's like a bunch of different <laughs> stereotypes yeah 
And like her family, my wife's family did not know what kind I was. They're just like, oh, this is a guy with his beard. Beards are bad, right? And like I brought 30, literally 30 of my family members and friends over. And they're like, this is like a real human with real connections to the real world. He's not a burnout. They thought I was going to like abduct their daughter. And then like my family, they just, oh my God, they had so much fun together. Um, my brother smoked cigarettes or did at the time. And like my father-in-law and like they literally like, on the hour every hour we're just cheap and cigarettes wow. together um, we, we 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 brought we brought like tons of american spirits over to give away mm. to to my wife's family and friends and wow um it was a great me- meshing of cultures it was it was so much that fun. sounds so moving because you know it's a huge thing to move 30 you know travel in, in a group of 30 Right. You have to make all kinds of arrangements. Yeah. And everybody cooperated. <laughs> it's it's quite amazing. It is um, mostly due to the strength, the willpower and generosity of my ah. grandmother. She's she's mm. fantastic. Um, and when she says you're going mm. to do this, uh, my family members are like, OK, I guess and I'm doing this. Did you have like a uh, what kind of wedding did you have? A mixture of Western and Chinese tradition? I don't know. What, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> you were there, right? <laughs> um, so I've, I've I've only been to uh, so I've been to a handful of Chinese weddings, but I can't say like how traditional it was like we did the like my wife had four gowns. We did the lots of pictures. Actually, the power went out on the entire peninsula of this hotel. Oh dear! Um, wow! <laughs> they forgot to charge. Yeah, three hours before the food was about. They to be forgot served. to charge their card. <laughs> I, I guess they just, yeah. And so they um the the wedding company. I actually don't know who actually went and got it, but mm. they had this like power truck. But this truck like showed up literally forty five minutes before dinner was supposed to be served. Aww. And and like just jump started the entire peninsula. Mm. And so like um Lizzie. Uh, she passed out at one point from the heat. Like what? nobody wow. got sick from the food. It's just a miracle. I don't know how it all worked mm. out, but it did. Wow. Like the, she looks fantastic. Wow, what an adventure, right? Oh yeah. Are you an avid storyteller or a big fan of podcast? For the CGTN Podcast Festival, we welcome your voice and your story about China. Whether it is about Confucius, Peking Opera, Kung Fu, Chinatown, Peking Duck, or other delicious Chinese food, share your encounter with Chinese culture in your own words. Send your audio or video file to podcast at cri.com.cn before the end of November. For more information and details, you can log on radio.cgtn.com slash podfast. Your ideas will inspire many more from across the globe. Listening to the bridge. You paint a really interesting portrait, and you said all the right things. But sure. I have to ask, like, with that many foreigners all together moving around in the city, what mm. kind of looks were you getting? <laughs> um, I think maybe, were people maybe people thought you were tourists, like a group. I think they did. Yeah. yeah, we were like we we had a bus that we chartered, and so like I think we just looked like tourists. I don't think anybody knew it was a wedding party. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I did. I the one thing I was really trying to push with my family because we flew into Shanghai, but they flew into. Beijing first mm. because they want to do some tourism in Beijing mm-hmm. be- and then come down to Suzhou for the wedding, Suzhou and then Zhang Yin. Mm. And then we actually went back to Shanghai for two nights. Mm. And then like half my family joined our honeymoon. Um, I took um, 
my wife's parents mm. and our parents and uh, we went to Guilin oh, for for the honeymoon. Wow! And it was the first time. It was the first time my in laws had ever been on a plane. Wow! Because they're like from like rural China, mm. and they like didn't want to get on a plane. And we're like, no, you're going. <laughs> yeah, they they um they got stopped at the security because their passports didn't match. Like the name didn't match the passport because mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. um the tour like the tour uh, the travel agent like used the pinion mm-hmm. and like the pinion's not on their Chinese pass their Chinese uh, like ID right. And so That's we're like, common, no, no, no. They're like, no, 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 it's okay. You guys can go without it. He's like, no, you're coming. <laughs> and so we, I like went back through security, like, oh, and was, dear. no, you're coming with, and got them on the plane. Mm. It was fantastic. Um, but the, the one thing I really wanted them to do was my family to go from Beijing to Shanghai mm. on the high speed train mm. to like really experience how backward America is with public transportation. Oh, <laughs> and they would not do it. They took the plane instead. Mm. I'm like, really? no. No, take the train. Well, yeah, I mean, I have to say on this note, you know, America has a lot of really advanced aspects to it. The public infrastructure, the public rail yeah. is amazing in China. Uh, America just, it was advanced early. Yeah. So I'm sure you're going to ask me about reverse culture shock and what do I miss about China? And a hundred percent, like that, Absolutely. Is, that is the number one, like public transportation on point. Mm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All. Mm-hmm. Um, so where I lived in Suzhou, I was able to get from my door to downtown Shanghai mm. in like 35 what? minutes, wow. which is something most people who live in Shanghai mm. cannot say. I actually, I knew a gentleman who worked in Shanghai and he lived in Suzhou mm. and he just took the fast train into Shanghai every day. That was his wow. commute. It's 26 yeah, minutes. Pretty amazing. Let's listen to an audio book or something. It's it's easy. It's the best commute in the world. I did, would do it. Did your family from the States uh, travel a bit in China when they came over for the wedding? They did uh, Beijing, mm. Shanghai, Suzhou. Jungian and um and then uh Guilin. I'm just so curious. How like how did they do it? Did they get a tour guide? We did have a guide. Yeah, we had or... a few guides. In in each oh. city, the um the travel agent set uh my family up with with a tour guide. Well, I mean, I want to go back, sorry, baby, to reverse culture shock because I don't think we finished. For me, going back, it wasn't just the, the high-speed rail, it was other things like using cash again. I was I don't know about in 2013. I guess they were still cash here, but like um what were what are your experiences of going back to the US and how did you your perceptions of it change? Um, so I'm a cashless person. I don't, I don't carry cash. I didn't like cash. Mm, mm, mm. Um, it was very weird to, in China, have to carry cash everywhere. Mm. And then I came back and I love being able to just use your credit card mm. because a dollar is not worth a dollar. A dollar is worth whatever you can get on a credit card with points, cash back, oh. rewards, all the stuff. I see. And if you're just paying cash, you're paying $1 for $1. You're losing out on a lot of value, mm. sometimes up to 10, 15%. Wow. Right? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Mm. But what about like English speaking? So like you're like, one thing I take for granted here is sometimes I can just talk with my friend in English and we assume, you know, we're kind of in our own bubble because very few people understand what the deeper context of whatever we're talking about. But when I was in the States, suddenly it was like I could understand all the people around me perfectly and it felt a little weird. <laughs> That's kind of tangential to the story. Uh, I was also I, I was a tour guide um, on the cap in the, in the capital and I Mm. A lot of time downtown in DC, and there's a lot of Chinese tourists. Mm. The word Lao Wai is thrown around a lot <laughs> in China. Just like whenever they see you, it's like, oh, Lao Wai. It's like, yeah, that's me. Okay. Um, but in DC, you hear, you still hear Lao Wai because like Chinese don't realize, like, I am outside of my country. That's a foreigner. It's like, right. so like, one of the, my hobbies was going up to them being like, Busha, Tajili, Nima, Shalawai. And they're like, what the hell? And like, usually the youngest person in the group would just start laughing and be like, yeah, you're right. Right. <laughs> 
think they the older ones are probably just shocked that mm. you speak so much Chinese. Yeah, because you like if you don't throw like a naga 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 at the beginning, like they don't even realize you're trying to speak Chinese. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, they will be like, oh, we have to be careful now. We can't talk up. About him in front of him now <laughs> in Chinese. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. You'd have to assume that if you're in Washington, D.C. or New York or something, that everyone around you is like speaks three or four languages. Really? Mm. Wow. I mean, I just, I'm just assuming. If they are not white. Mm. Most Americans are barely able to speak English well. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but Washington, oh, yeah. D.C. is considered, I think, statistically has the highest absolutely. population of educated Americans in it. So if anyone's going to be bilingual or speak three languages, it's going to be there. That is a fair statement. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, absolutely true. And then maybe New York is a second. You know, we've asked you questions. I've asked you questions to dig out like what you noticed about, you know, the differences between culture. But if and we asked you about your perceptions your first week and what your perceptions were previous to going. Mm. But if you were going to say something to help Westerners understand what China's really like, what kind of things would you want them to know, especially maybe before they came here? Yeah. One of the things that I, I talk about this often here, actually, is there's a big gap and misperception between like, not in a lot of circles, but Republicans mostly like mm. China's the enemy. It's like China's not the enemy. The the thing that people like don't realize is mm. that the governments may not be getting along. The governments may be in a trade war. The media may be pointing at each other. But on the whole, the vast majority of people do not care. They're just living their life. Mm. The, like the average Chinese person doesn't walk around thinking like, oh, what is America doing to screw China today? <laughs> like they don't. Nobody. Same mm. thing over here. Nobody's thinking about that. And it's just like, it's a media game where our media is fighting with your media, diplomats talking to diplomats. I would say that like, I would go in completely with a clean slate. Like you're just going to meet regular people who are going to work mm -hmm. after work. They go to set of a bar. They're going to a KTV. Like they're just regular people. <laughs> Everybody's just trying to live their life. There's some huge like cultural similarities between Americans and Chinese that like mm -hmm. the things that we mm -hmm. value the most are the same family, food, education. Mm. That's kind of what life's about. Cultural right? similarities. That's like, you know, yeah. I, I don't hear a lot about cultural similarities between China and the U.S. Mm, so that's mm. that's interesting. Mm -hmm. But so for you, you feel like essentially, you know, we are about the same. Oh, right? absolutely. We, we care about our lives, our uh, family and work. And that's like 90 percent of our lives. Yeah, yeah, there are some things that are different, like um, like it's very odd to Americans that and well, and this is weird, like the rest of the world looks at it. I think we're the weird ones. We're like <laughs> multi-generation doesn't live in the same house. Mm. Whereas like in the U.S., it's like, oh, if you live with your parent, you're never going to be able to find a mm. mate. Yeah. Right. Because the, the, the paramour is going to be like, uh, I don't want you. You can't live on your own. Mm. And in China, like you don't move out of your family's house until you're ready to get married. Mm. And then you start your life. Mm. And it's like th some of these things where it's like a misconception. It's like, oh, he's unmarriable. He lives with his mom. It's like, no, he's like, that's you're saving money. That's a smart thing to do. Mm. Bebe and I actually mm. talked about this recently. You know, the joke about, oh, he lives in his mom's basement versus like maybe the economy has changed in the U.S. over the Do Chinese have basements? <laughs> well, even if most people in China, like even 
if everyone lives in a house with a basement in China, yeah. the kids would not be living in the basement. <laughs> no, they live in the main house. Like, yeah. they would have a very nice room. <laughs> yeah, they would have, like, the best room. <laughs> yeah. My question, I think, Josh, is uh, because the economy in the U.S. has changed the last couple of years, are families increasingly living together now? Has that changed? Or is it still like, okay, you're 18, get out? Um, ooh, that's a good... So there's a couple different answers to this. So it's still like the 18, get out, but it's like you're going to college. But if you're not going to college, a lot of them will stay home. Mm. Um, mm. And then it's actually the people graduating from college and then moving back in home mm. to save money. And I think it's just mm-hmm. the this generation has not fully recovered from the global financial crisis in 2008. Mm. And mm. we can point all the fingers that we want, but it's like bankers in New York. 100% bankers in New York. It's their fault. <laughs> and <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like there's, I just got to throw that out there. Mm. So with the pandemic, the, a lot of people were moving into more comfortable situations. Mm. The only reason to live in an expensive city like New York or San Francisco mm-hmm. is the mm-hmm. culture. And if everything's shut down, there's no culture to experience. Mm. So why would you pay $3,000 for a studio apartment in a place where you can't leave the house? Mm. Like give up the dumb apartment. Like you can find another Mm. one. Dunhuang. Situated along the ancient Silk Road where fine arts and divine beliefs merged with the natural world. It's where the East and West interacted and where the world's largest Buddhist art gallery still fascinates and amazes people today. A place where stories of life and death, love and hatred, passion and desire, faith and sacrifice have been generated and told for 2,000 years. Dunhuang. A place born in legends. Buckle up for our new podcast, Why We Love Dunhuang. The one and only podcast that can take you to the fantasy world of Dunhuang and beyond through our audio tour. Listen and subscribe to the Why We Love Dunhuang podcast for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and all other major podcast platforms. Why We Love Dunhuang? You will have your answers. You're listening to The Bridge. I want to come back around to China and culture, but I want to give you an opportunity to tell us a little bit about your company, Opolis. I hope I'm saying that right. Yeah, you are. And what does it mean to be a founding steward as opposed to a founder? Yeah, so we use um, steward because we have a responsibility and duty to the community that we're serving rather than officers of a company. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're organized as a cooperative. Mm -hmm. Uh, Opolis is a member-owned digital employment cooperative. What we're doing is taking uh, the employment situation and completely changing it. Instead of being a W-2 employee where you're subjugated and the company owns the discounted rate and employment, when you change jobs, that doesn't go with you. So you have to leave, go on a government program called COBRA before going to a new company. And it's a huge pain in the ass. It's a lot of 
time and money wasted in between, and there's no stability for the for the individual. Um, and I, this probably is not as big a problem in China, and I know it isn't because um, when, when I got bit by a dog, I went to a hospital and I got seen immediately, and it cost me six RMB or one dollar. Wow. wow, out the door, just done. It was very fast. I think it's because a little bit of low eye power. Um, <laughs> like let's just get, let's get the farmer out of here quickly. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, in the U.S., no, that's like five thousand dollar bill with insurance, maybe three four hundred dollars. Mm. I'm a little confused. How does this has to do with benefits? So insurance, but also payroll. Yeah. How does payroll play yes, a part in because payroll is employment? So um, or it's part it's part of employment. So you can think of it as disconnecting work from employment. So you work for a company, mm-hmm. yeah. right? But instead of working for the company, you work for yourself. You form a contracting mm. arrangement. Oh, so you with become the your own freelancer, but you're still right. employed by a company. Wow, that's very. But you're strange. employed by your own company. So we wrap or we help all of our members wrap themselves in an LLC, a company, and then they they enter in a B two B relationship with their former employer, and they get their benefits through the co op through us. So you can kind of think of it like a workers union. But it's mm. not particularly a union. Do you have to have like special skills? Do you have to be like really good at what you do to to join? No, this? no, 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 no. Oh. You you the so the minimum requirement to joining Opolis is that you're able to pay yourself mm. minimum wage for the state you live in. Mm. So uh, in Texas, the minimum wage is thirty five thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. In California, it's like sixty five thousand. Wow. So any and some every, anywhere between there. Mm. Um, but it's it's you doing what you do. Mm. But instead of them taking care of your benefits, you're taking care of your benefits. Yeah, we're taking care of it for them. And we do the tax and compliance stuff. So mm. one of the things that employers will do is they take money out of your paycheck to pay the mm. to pay the government. Right. When you're a contractor, they don't do that. They just give you cash and then you're responsible for paying the government mm. what you think you're supposed to pay. And if it's wrong, you pay a fine. Mm. And so what we do is we set them up as an employment and we take the taxes out every paycheck mm-hmm. and then there's no guesswork. Uh, we, we do the formula. Everyone pays the correct amount on the correct time. So the government loves it because they're getting mm. the money they're supposed to be getting. And the freelancer loves it because mm. they don't have to do any of the paperwork. They can focus on doing what they're good at, which is being a realtor or a lawyer or a doctor mm. or a software developer or and also, podcasters. Um, it says it's, you know, you're trying to provide a more egalitarian global employment framework. Yeah. So it's not just for the U.S., right? It is now, but our goal is to grow this globally. What's your vision for that? Like, what is it something special that he, you know, he can offer for people around the world? Uh, so community and bulk buying mm. power. So the goal mm. of the cooperative is to maximize benefits and minimize costs for each mm. of the individual members. I was going to ask, what are the benefits of doing this through mm. your company as opposed to the company that you work? So for? It, it's de-risking the company because there's a lot of like HR problems with onboarding mm. and offboarding. Mm. There's a if you're just going to be a W two employee to a company, like that's fine. But mm. most freelancers don't work like that, mm. and most like software developers, graphic designers, uh, mm. there, there's also this like dance between like, all right, you work for a company, you finish the thing you're working on, you still need to do ten to fifteen hours to maintain it, mm. but mm. you can't fill a full forty. So the company has to make a decision of whether to fire you or to keep you on, mm. and like waste your time for like thirty hours or cut your pay. And so this makes it so that you're to own your own employment, mm-hmm. 
and you're able to do the 10, 15 hours on the small contracts for lots of places. Um, and then the, the second thing is uh, you're an owner of the co-op. So uh, for the, all the payroll you run through Opolis, you're also earning the work token. This is a, a cryptocurrency or it's shares in the co-op mm. and you can sell them or you can hold on to them for profit sharing. Wow. That's really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, programmers and freelancers. What other kinds of people does this mix a lot of? I mean, writers, if you work yeah, artists. artists, lawyers, real estate agents, anybody who's mm-hmm. earning pre-tax income mm-hmm. or anybody like a, a business owner, anyone who's self-employed. And actually with more people working from home. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Due to the pandemic and people getting used to this work style. I see a greater need for your service in the future because a lot of people probably realize, oh, I can actually do this. I can have more flexibility and more control. Yeah, absolutely. Over my work. Right. And and I don't Mm. remember because I never. I never tried to buy anything in China. I don't know if I was allowed to, what? like land. Or... Oh, yeah, I think you are. Yeah, you can buy real estate. So houses and let's stuff. say you want to go buy an apartment, right? Mm-hmm. If you're a freelancer, at least definitely in the U.S., they they want two years of consistent freelance income mm-hmm. and to and like proof of money to be able to mm-hmm. buy it. Mm-hmm. In the U.S., you can get a mortgage alone from the bank mm-hmm. with one pay stub <laughs> even is so you could you could have two million dollars in the bank mm-hmm. but you could be a freelancer and you would be more likely to get a loan if you had sixty thousand dollars a year on a pay stub on a on a, on a w-2 mm-hmm. because they think of employment as being that much more stable, stable. less risky mm-hmm. so if you're a freelancer and you don't have that document then you're saying it's going to make it a lot more difficult for you to buy real estate in the US. exactly and we provide those documents. i'll just haul my cash here's one million dollars <laughs> <laughs> could you imagine trying to like i mean that's like six six point eight million rmb I can't mm. imagine that. That like fills a whole room, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, but I, I think some families do um, buy properties like that here in China, yeah, especially like common. the older generation. Yeah, because they, they save. Go to the bank with a wheelbarrow. <laughs> this, well, at least for the down payment. Yes, you know they will save up enough for the down payment, and because uh, I think Chinese people in general, we still don't like to have a lot of debt. Mm. You know, it's like mm. a, it's like psychological, mental pressure. Yeah, I think it's a generational thing too. There is much more home ownership. Mm. Well, I mean, I think in, in China, I've looked at the statistics, more people own their home outright in China than they do statistically in the United States where people typically pay mortgages and then they take out second mortgage, mortgages as they approach retirement and they use it mm. as like a collateral for increasing the money that they actually have and can invest in other ways. Yeah. We're not particularly ready to come to China yet, but I would love to expand there because it would mean that I get to spend more time over there. Mm. So that was going to be my next question. What are things that you miss about China? Mm. Oh, my e-bike. I miss my e-bike. <laughs> Can't you have an e-bike? Where are you where are you now? Uh I'm in Phoenix and we live in Dallas. Couldn't you just get an e-bike? No. <laughs> Why not? Uh well, one, it's way too hot here. Two, mm. the city is way too spread out. I wouldn't be able to get to anywhere that I need to go. Mm. Three, they don't sell e-bikes. Right. Really? It's it's not like a thing. You know, you just go on Taobao and just buy an e-bike. You can't go to Am- Amazon and like order an e-bike no i, I tried what is, what is an e-bike what what is an e-bike sorry am i the electronic bike you know they looks like a scooter oh oh right 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 okay, i don't remember okay. the chinese actually i just call them moto chip but this like not because mm. it's not they're not the you know coolest thing but they're pretty convenient <laughs> whoa 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 oh. mind your tongue there, oh. baby. 
<laughs> what, you got a really cool one? They are so ah. cool. I did. It looked like a Harley. Oh, wow. Oh, man. I love my e-bike. And it like I had, um, oh. I got T-boned. And so I had to get the frame replaced. Wow. And so I replaced mm. it with like red, white, and blue. And then I got these stickers off of Taobao. And so I put the star stickers on there. And it looked like <laughs> I, like I made the American flag. It was it was beautiful. Wow. So you did some work. Oh, yeah. Nice. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. 20 RMB worth of work. It sounds like Evil Knievel or something with all the American flag paraphernalia. Yeah, but like with a not cool e-bike, according to Bebe. Mm. So. Well, because <laughs> most of the ones that I see here, you know, they're not. And they usually have that. Um, You're imagining like the little girl's bike with like the one battery. Yeah. And it's like. Ding, ding. Right. No, no, no. no. And, this is and, like, it looks like a motorcycle, but it's actually just. Electronic, electronic. Like, and, and also yeah. the ones here, they usually have a, a kind of like a windproof in front, in the front. It's just like a quilt almost. I think I had a little yeah, shield. Harleys have the big shield. Well, these ones are not made of anything, you know, fancy metal. These are like some, cloth. Some of them. <laughs> so because you're always, uh, you know, in the wind in a way, they put it in the front of their e-bike to protect their knees and also their hands. Mm. So it's not always, you know, wind coming at you. Um, they don't look so cool. <laughs> You know, it's really interesting because most Chinese people, they don't get the motorcycle looking e-bike. They get the little scootery looking one that looks like a European kind of thing. But like, yeah, because they're trying to weave through traffic. I'm not trying to weave through traffic. I'm trying to be like, take up the entire space of my lane and like, don't hit me. Don't hit me. I'm a big target. Like, stop at the red light. Mm -hmm. But because you have the big motorcycle wheels, I'm sure that you're using electricity over the d distance faster than the little ones that are super like efficient. So my my bike with the 60V, um, maybe 72V, I had the ability to go um, 80 kilometers per hour for 15 minutes, mm. or I could go 50 kilometers per hour for 50 minutes, mm -hmm. or I could go 35 kilometers an hour for about 100 minutes. Probably the batteries are better now. That was almost 10 years ago. Oh man, you're just trying to draw me back to China. Yeah, we'll give you a really good bike. <laughs> Come out here, we'll get you a giant Harley looking motorcycle. <laughs> I, do, I do miss it. Oh, yeah. The best military commander is not he who fights a hundred battles and wins every one of them. The best military strategy does not lead to the desiccation of the enemy's capital city. Decoding the art of war will help you understand why there's no art in war and how Sunzi stayed undefeatable using the science of war with fun stories and insightful breakdown of famous battles. Tune in to Decoding the Art of War on Spotify. You're listening to The Bridge. Your son, has he, Theo, has he been come to China before? No. Oh, so okay. I promised, I promised my wife that I would bring them back mm. at least once a year. And then the pandemic happened because mm. we got married in 18. We had him mm. in February 19. Mm. And then there are certain shots that you need to get. Mm. So we had to wait until he turned one year old to get his second hep A shot mm. in February of 2020. That's just when it hit. Yeah. And China's already shut down. Mm. It's like, oh man, we're not going to be able to go to China. And it's a good thing we didn't because we would have gotten stuck. Right. And then... It would get complicated. Yeah. But he speaks Chinese, I hear. Mm. Speaks mm. Chinese in the family. Um, At least learning a bit. He knows a little bit of Chinese. 
My Chinese is still better than his, which is a little unfortunate because my Chinese is terrible. Oh, no, it sounds really good. <laughs> yeah, it sounds really good. Yeah, it's made to sound that way, but it's not actually that good. Well, may, may I make a recommendation? I have a friend, uh, Lily, and her husband, they have a daughter who's now about 10 years old. And what they did when their daughter was really young was they decided, okay, Lily will only speak English and Howie, the husband, will only speak Chinese. And then that way, no matter what happens, they'll grow up and they'll have oh. to learn to communicate in both languages. Hmm. Have you guys tried that, Josh? Oh, yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> like we try mm. um i and like we're we're planning a trip to to come to china and i've got a series of conferences between like singapore bali and kl in the f- mm. in the spring and we're going to try to spend like five to six months nice. in, in jungin and maybe we'll come up mm. to beijing and say hello um but yeah, that'd be great. I'm that'd hoping, be great. absolutely i'm hoping that that time he will learn Chinese. The unfortunate part of mm. that is that he's probably going to learn Zhang Yinhua and not the Putonghua, <laughs> and I'm not going to be happy uh, about that. It's okay. It's better than nothing, right? We can start from there. It is better than nothing. Mm. I'm I'm willing to accept that. Local dialect might be really cute. You know, when I throw on my wife's local mm. dialect in here in Beijing, people are like, wow, that's pretty cool that you actually yeah. learned some local dialect from somewhere. So I think if he learns like some local dialect from somewhere close to Suzhou, Wuxi, then that could be really really cool and you know cute it makes you sound very authentic mm. yeah because even like for most people in china who speak mandarin they might not even know a local dialect yeah it's like you know almost sometimes it could be like almost like a second language that is yeah. true give them some yeah, authenticity I mean, so some would describe it as authentic some would describe it as unintelligible well yeah some dialect can be quite different from from mandarin Mm -hmm. yeah um but you know there are so much resources out there and maybe he he'll get interested from hearing certain you know stories about china like fairy tales and all that and maybe he'll become more interested in learning about the language because when you compare the two chinese and english like english is obviously a lot more easier to absorb and to use um, like once my daughter learned English, she even though she lives in China, she wants to use English to communicate. It just flows better. Yeah. Mm. And not mm. to speak of, you know, writing in Chinese. <laughs> She's like, ah, all these strokes left and right. Um, these pictures are hard <laughs> to draw <laughs> each character. Yeah, I've been yeah. I've been doing the Duolingo to like practice my reading and writing mm. because mm. the two years I was there, I took Chinese classes like mm. I can I can get around. I can order food, taxi. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but like I can't read and write. Uh, it's there's like it's certain, certain words like I know where the exit is. Mm-hmm. That's that's an easy one. Mm. Well, I think it's interesting. Bebe is mentioning writing because I think most adults they don't actually physically write with like a stylus or a pen or anything. They use their digital device like their mobile, so they're just inputting the pinging and then choosing the character that goes along with. Yeah, it. I mean the other day. Oh, they still do that. It was like that ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. it's mm-hmm. still pretty much the same. The other day, I was uh, my daughter was doing homework, you know, drawing literally drawing Chinese characters, and she was like, "Why do I have to do this?" Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was like, huh. Um, <laughs> I literally didn't have an answer right away. Um, but I was like, you know, you can do calligraphy. You know, that's, it's beautiful. It's a, it's art. She's into, you know, drawing on arts. So she's like, okay. <laughs> you know, it's really great to have you on the show. Yeah. Yeah. We'd love to have, if you come Ooh, to Beijing, time. we could definitely have you in the studio and invite you back on the show. That'd you be know, great. Because I'm really interested in hearing more about 30 of your family members coming to China. I think 
think there's it sounds so interesting. And also, like, how did you introduce China to them?、Mm. Um, and what if some of them didn't want to come? What if they had, you know, certain ideas about what China is like? So, but that's not we, we don't have enough time for that today. So maybe next time, yeah. <laughs> It'll be interesting. Cool. Yeah, I would love to. Would love to come on again. Yeah, and touch on the things that we that we may have missed. Yeah. Thank you, Josh. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Josh. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. 